cable television station QAC TV 7. This meeting is also being streamed live over the internet at qac.org slash live. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public sessions. We acknowledge your participation and by attending you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. The scheduled agenda is available on the information table just outside of our meeting room. Press and public comments will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, you must sign the information uh, sheet on the outside table. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. During the meeting, we would ask that you turn all electronic devices off and hold personal conversations outside of our meeting room. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Jim Moran. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If we can remain standing for a moment of silence for all those across this country that will be traveling this holiday season for safe travels. Thank you very much. All right, and speaking of a busy uh, holiday travel weekend. You want to do minutes and agenda? Can we do, uh, I think the sheriff has a quick announcement he wants to make, if we can do that first, please. He's got a scheduled commitment. Um, Since you teed up, we have a busy, busy holiday weekend ahead of us, and a lot of travelers out there, so we wanted to make sure they're safe. Going off your cue there Mm -hmm. with the busy holiday travel. There you go. I wanted to let you all know that um, Todd Mond and I, uh, some of the commissioners have had some discussions in reference to the upcoming holiday season and the anticipated expected travel um, that's expected this season, especially to be very heavy, uh, AAA's predicting. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing is, I know State Highway has said they're going to be shutting down the Route 50 to Route 18 ramp again that you initiated before Commissioner Moran um, by having that done. So that, that's very helpful. So they're going to be shutting that down, I believe, if that's Wednesday through Sunday. Starting tomorrow through Sunday, yes. Okay, at, so they're the going to be... At the, that's at the outlets. At the outlets, yeah. left yeah. turn lane, mm-hmm. route, 50, the route 50 westbound, traveling to westbound Route 18. So they're going to be, uh, be shutting that down as well. Um, tomorrow we're going to have six deputies out there to assist motorists uh, through the county uh, to keep Route 18 uh, as free and clear as possible. Our goal is we know it might be slow, but it will be moving. Um, we will have a supervisor and myself uh, as well on scene that if we need to initiate the Route 18 plan or we need to initiate a Route 8 plan, we will have adequate staffing available to to do that if it should become uh, a problem. So just wanted to uh, give you guys a quick brief update to tell you that we're going to do everything we can to keep traffic moving through our county and get everyone who's not a resident safely out of our county. What's going to be the trigger to put things in motion? Because you know me. You know, I'll, I'll flip that switch. I know you will. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I think when, when traffic becomes at an ultimate standstill or we have a major incident that occurs on the Bay Bridge or something, I think we need to quickly uh, 
all talk to each other, talk to the fire departments to see if there are any problems getting their staffing to the stations. Uh, if Department of Emergency Services is having problems moving their vehicles around, I think then we're going to need to just go ahead and do it. Well, I just, I mean, I'm looking at the weather and they're calling for Sunday for rain. And rain, two lanes, and all of that Thanksgiving traffic. Going it, back. It's 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 a recipe for a disaster. Sure. And, and we're, no matter what happens, the redirection for our emergency services will take place. And that's that's something that whatever we do, they're still going to be rerouted. So that I think that that shouldn't be really a, a, I mean, a factor per se, but I would, I mean, I'm, I'm all for closing these ramps down. I okay. mean, we need to start doing it now because, you know, last summer, this coming summer, we need to get into a practice, and, and it's, it's a living organism that, that's evolving, so we need to get out there through trial and error and find out where we need to block roads and a- exits and, and move forward. So, I mean, I... Well, it looks like for the next 20 years we're going to get plenty of practice. That's right. I mean, but that's the only way that... I mean, I, our citizens are... It, this is crazy. I mean, you know, we know that the bridge, and, and if we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit now, there's four, so the public doesn't know this, but, uh, and this information came from uh, Wagman Construction, didn't come from anywhere else but Wagman Construction. There's now 14 pours left, 14 more days where they're going to close down that center aisle, and that probably, that two year project will be done. And, you know, it's just a shame that, personally, I think we could have had this project done by now, uh, had certain things not happened, but they didn't. So be that as it may, we're down to like 14 pours, and that project will be complete. So we lost today's, you know, because of the holidays this whole week, there won't be any pouring going on, and we understand that, and rightly so. But, you know, pray for warm weather so that we can get this project done, because we don't want to sit. I personally don't want to see us have to sit through January, February, March, while the weather's no good and no work and no activities going on. And then we're into spring and we're into beach traffic. And, you know, it's just, it's never ending. So I, I'm all in favor, and, I, and we've had these discussions yeah. of shutting these ramps down and getting some DPD per, DPW personnel out there and putting up the barricades in certain locations. And, and we need to start that process. So, But we'll all be, I'll make sure we communicate tomorrow uh, throughout the day. Because, I mean, we, we, we know that, that there's, there's four major exits that we just need to shut down, and we can keep that corridor open, and at least people can move around. I mean, and, I, we'll, you know. and we'll talk about Sunday as well. Yeah. We'll, we'll communicate well with Sunday. I'll be, I'll be there. So. So, okay. Are they, are they keeping that. the lane closed to do the rail replacement as well? Excuse me? The rail replacement. They, well, the, the rail's on both sides. So, I mean, so they might be saying. working behind a jersey on one side, but have you seen anybody working on the rails? No, that's my question. Yeah. Are they planning on when they can't pour, like, for the next three months through the cold weather? Was that their plan to drop back and start doing the rails so that that wasn't a holdover? They've, they've been working on it's, the rails. Right. They have, right on the outside. Now. Yeah, they're doing right. on the outside. They're putting up the, the, the uh, strong backs on it. But Mr. Wilson is our uh, liaison to the brag. the brag, and they're having a meeting on December 4th, right? And yes, so correct. that's a question that he can get answered for us and get some timelines on what's going on there with the railings and everything else. So... You know, because it's... Cause I mean, they're not going to let them go. If they're doing the, the, the left side rails, they're not going to let you drive on that side when they're doing the left side rails. Oh, they're going to close the whole bridge. I already asked them about yeah. that. Yeah. would like to say two other things. One is that the emergency service department has already pre-positioned equipment on the other side of the bridge, so canal narrows bridge, so that if we wind up with <clears throat> immovable situations, we're kind of set up to deal with it already. 
Number two, I don't know really, and I don't think anybody knows exactly what the extent of this uh, Thanksgiving traffic is going to mean, but plainly it must, the state must have thought it was pretty serious or they wouldn't have Correct. You know, repo- yeah. considered repositioning all the equipment. So when they went back on the schedule in which they took that back away and were now shut down, uh, it's tough to know exactly what the extent of traffic is going to be. And Sheriff and Todd and I and you have talked about the fact also we've got a number of weather events coming in over the weekend and whether that deters traffic or doesn't it. It's a, it's a Rubik's Cube right now, but we've done, I think, everything, and the public should know. Between you and you, you've done, and Todd, you've done everything we could well, we, to we, kind we, of cover the bases in this issue. And and I would say that the, the, the historical data has Thanksgiving weekend is more traffic than July Fourth weekend. Yeah, it's the so heaviest, it, it is, heaviest travel day. Yeah, the heaviest year. travel yeah. day. So that's yeah. so I'm, I, people need to understand that <clears throat> these backups are going to go way past ten miles. Yeah. It's just a question of which days, <clears throat> or and hopefully not all of them. So. Right. So, but I think that the county has done everything, and I really have to commend you and you and you for, you know. Yeah, we, want, we want the project to be done. We know the project needs to be done. And Chris, you know, with the video they did, and if, if anybody haven't seen it yet, QAC TV went out and did a video, an informational video, on the, the state of the bridge and why they're doing it and how they're doing it. And that's, it's great information. But just know that, you know, it's, it's not a two-year project. Uh, it was stated, it started as a two-year project, and now they're hoping to get it done in not even one year, but six months. And it is definitely doable, but 14 more warm days. So Let just it. count them down as that center lane's closed and you're cursing and cussing the traffic. Know that we're, we're getting down to where that'll all be over. So, yes. Well, thank you. I well, appreciate thanks, Commissioners. I hope Sheriff. everybody has a great Thanksgiving as well as our community as well. Thanks. All right, buddy. Thank, thank you, Sheriff. Thank you, Sheriff. Okay, right. and uh, thanks for uh, deviation from the uh, scheduled agenda there. Yep. If we want to go to uh, our closed session summary, oh, yes. we did have a closed session for 30 minutes to discuss uh, boards and commissions, and I do believe we reached consensus on a number of those. Um, the first one was the Department of Emergency Services Advisory Commission appointment. You Can want to do, read through all of them, and then we'll make one motion for all of them? Because it was, or do you want to go through each one individually? We probably do each one individually, okay. I think. Okay, yeah. fire away. So, okay. Yeah. You, okay. you want me to read them? Yeah. So I'll make the first motion. The first motion is for uh, to uh, appoint Chad Angelini to the DSAC to begin effective immediately. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? There you go. Uh, the Animal Control Commission would be next. I move to reappoint Robert Mueller and Kathy Trotter to a five-year term on the Animal Control Commission to begin effective January 1, 2020 and end December 31st, 2024. Second. second. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? There we go. Keep going. You're on a roll. Commission on Aging. Uh, I move to appoint Chris Jackson to fill a remaining unexpired term on the Aging Commission to begin effective immediately and end December 31st, 2022. Second. I have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Economic Development Commission. I move to appoint Hazen Arnold, Heather Bacher, Lee Sappinger Bridgman, and Jonathan Cook 
to the Economic Development Commission to begin January 1, 2020 and expire December 31st, 2018. Second. I have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Plumbing and HVAC board. I move to reappoint Robert Pardo Jr. and Zeke Warner to a three-year term on the plumbing board to begin January 20th or January 1st, 2020 and expire December 31st, 2022. Second. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Social Services Advisory Board. I move to appoint Robert Binner to fill a, the remaining unexpired term on the Social Services Advisory Board to begin effective immediately and end June 30th, 2022. Second. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Boards are done. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. <clears throat> that takes us to the agenda. So today's agenda for our meeting, November 26th, along with the regular and closed session minutes from your November 12th meeting were distributed electronically for your review. Are there any corrections or additions? Motion to accept. Second. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay. Approved. All right, that brings us to our first press and public comments uh, section. Thank you for taking the time to express your views to the county commissioners during this public comment period. Comments are limited to three minutes in length. Comments longer than three minutes should be submitted in writing. When you come forward, please speak clearly in the standing microphone. State your name, address, topic of interest. Keeping with the dignity of the office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. The commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. We ask as a courtesy to the board and our citizens that you respect the commissioner's request and refrain from naming citizens and name calling when offering any critique. Signed up. Nobody signed up. So I have no one that signed up, but anybody like to speak? Seeing none, we'll close the press and public comment. All right, commissioners, we can move on to new business. If you want to turn to uh, our action item sections, tab three, we have uh, six items there. First up, we have um, Ewing Pond Park operations. This is a contract award with David A. Bramble to pave Ewing Pond Park parking lot. I move to authorize Department of Parks and Recreation contract with David A. Bramble to pave the Ewing Park parking lot in the amount of $14,000 from Department of Parks and Recreation Trail Development Maintenance Amenities Capital Improvement Project 4114 Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? So I have a question. That's, is that going to be just the parking lot area? Because there are some um, trails. stone trails and stuff that kind of linger around the pond a little bit. Do we know? Just is it the, just the parking lot area? Are they going to? Mm-hmm. It's the parking lot area. Okay. Any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay. Item two on page five is the South Island Trail repaving contract with David A. Bramble. <clears throat> I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recs to contract with David A. Bramble to pave the six-mile South Island Trail in the amount of $194,000 from the Department of Parks and Recreation's Trail Development Maintenance Amenities Capital Improvement Project. Second. second. We have a motion and a second. Discussion? I'll start it off. So this is, so the public doesn't realize when we say South Island Trail, you're talking about every bit of it. From Mattapique all the way down to Roman Coke. So that's 
everything that's there now. Yes. That's and right. where the bumps are, the humps, and yeah, all. Pull those out, tie it in. So Bramble will, will mill them out and, and uh, find out what the root oh, cause underneath is and, and probably pull that out yeah, because we you know that's it's it's a trail that people love to use but lately it's it's been a little bit hazardous so and it's been about 17 or 18 years right. since it was built and it hasn't been yeah. repaved since so yeah. you know over the course of time you're going to get you know and that'll take care of everything south of uh route 50 correct and then we We'll be looking we're working on we're working on the Cross Island Trail with the uh, program open space money and waiting for all that to come through. So hopefully in January, February, okay. we'll be back here um, giving you the, an update on that. Excellent. Okay. For public interest, one of the big hang-ups has been the crossover or cross route. Yes. Beat. And what's the state of that? Cost of that? What what have you to say on that subject, sir? Unfortunately, we don't have an answer for that yet. And yeah. I know there's there's many different um, options that have been out there. They've been talking about bridges going across 50. There's been talking about um, the pedestrian crossover, pedestrian yeah. crossover, a, a double diamond across uh, Route 8. Um, you know, all of those things come with a, a litany of, of positives and negatives. And you know, cost is actually going to be an issue. Um, and and most importantly, I think the the thing to keep in mind is safety. Um, so, you know, once we but we definitely need to connect the trail, and I think that you know, getting options on the table sooner rather than later. Let's let's look at the different options and, and then make some informed decisions because I, I I totally support a pedestrian bridge crossing over fifty to Terrapin to to help tie that together because once you get into Terrapin, now you're across Route Eight and you're right. continuing down the trail. It's just that Route Fifty and that putting traffic pedestrians on a bridge with with vehicles. In the state that we're going to be in for the next 20 years is, is a bad idea. Right. So, yeah. and, and obviously, I mean, you're aware of uh, there's a couple of different examples that go across many oh, yeah. roads, like like River Road and yeah. um, uh, Montgomery County, and there's also uh, 197 and yeah. Bowie. And I was there when they built that, that one. Yeah. So. so I mean, it is it is very doable, and yeah. it won't in, you know impede traffic and get the trucks underneath of it. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a matter of of where and how much is. And then we'll let the state hook their electronic tolling right to the bottom of our, our brand new overpass and Lisa toll right yeah so and, and we'll get those tolls going both ways so yeah absolutely very much okay great all right so we've got a motion and a second to authorize the department of parks and recreation to contract with david a bramble to pave the six mile south island trail in the amount of one hundred ninety four thousand dollars from the Department of Parks and Recreation Trail Development Maintenance Amenities Capital Improvements Project 414-000-5200-409.13. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay, great. Thank you, commissioners. Item three on page nine is the FY20 department. We should probably just go right by three. <laughs> Parks and Recreation Capital Purchase for some equipment. So... Can I get a motion on that, please? Uh, I move to authorize Department of Parks and Recreation to purchase the following Toro Grandmaster, Roundmaster 7200 with Polar Track Diversion Kit. I don't have to read all this. Toro Poor Core Deep Tine Aerator, Toro Cedar. The total amount of $89,572.42 from the U.S. Communities and National IPA contract. From the city of Mesa, Arizona, contract 2017025 with funding to come from Department of Parks and Recreation's FY20 
2020 capital equipment budget. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? On the slit seater? Yes. Uh, if you'd like to do a trial run, I know my house could use it. <laughs> we'll, we'll take note of that. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, right, bro? What, what, the, heck, right? what the hell, man? Come on. We'll try. I'm with you, man. It's Christmas no time. No harm, no foul, right? That's right. Okay. Any other discussion? Seeing none, we don't need to reread all that. So all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay, thank you, Commissioners. Item 4 on page 14 is uh, Department of Parks and Recreation Utility Vehicle Purchase. Can I get a motion on that? I move to authorize the Department of Parks and Recreation to purchase a 2019 Kubota RTV X900 utility vehicle from Hoover Incorporated Middletown, Delaware for the price tag of $13,285. Funding to come from the Department of Parks and Recreation's fiscal year 2020 capital equipment budget. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? There you go. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Right, thank, thank you very much. much. Appreciate it. Concludes the Steve Chanley show, so we'll see you maybe next year. Yeah. <laughs> next week. Next week. <laughs> Item five on page 18 is a series of uh, three resolutions for some property liens. Hopefully these are the last ones for uh, uh, nuisance violations for weeds. Can I get a motion on that, please? I move to approve resolutions 1946, 1947, 1948 place lien on each of the properties listed in the County Zoning Administrator's Memorandum dated November 26, 2019 for nuisance violations. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you, Commissioners. Our last item. Item number six on page 51 is a partial release of a forest conservation easement for the Enclave subdivision. I move to sign a partial release of forest conservation easement for the Enclave at Prospect Plantation West. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. That's all our action items tonight, Commissioners. We can move into the presentation section of the agenda. We're a little ahead of schedule, but I believe our first presentation is here. We have uh, character counts, Kelly Huber, and Wayne Humphreys is here, So, and Patricia Hackelman, Susan Coppage, come on up. This is the 19th year anniversary. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah. Anniversaries. Who would like to start? I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> if you will, just take a, a couple of moments and huh? kind of review how actually it was about 20 years ago in May. This May was 20 years. Um, there was an incident in Columbine, and one of the citizens in Queen Anne's County approached the local management board and said that uh, Queen Anne's County needed to be proactive and we needed to come up with some ideas. And um, we sponsored two events for the citizens to come together, one in Centerville and one in Stevensville. We had about 125 people attend. Uh, we broke into groups and we came up with 32 different ideas. Mm. <laughs> wow. 
We um, actually sent those out to all the participants and asked them to prioritize it. The top two items were good after-school programs and some kind of a character initiative. And that was in 1999. We got to work the following year. The um, was the official start of character counts. Queen Anne's County was proclaimed a, queen, a uh, character counts community. Um, it's, I think, Marge, you've probably been here all that time. <laughs> um, but we've appreciated all the time that uh, the commissioners have devoted to this. We feel that the support of the commissioners is just invaluable. It sets the tone for the entire community. Um, the school system initially was a little pushback. The, uh, I can remember at the time the superintendent said, there's no way we have room to do anything else. But if the citizens really want to do it, and you can prove that they want to do it, then we'll, we'll find a way. So we went to work, and um, here it is uh, about 19, 20 years later. We've had well over 1,000 community members come forward as coaches. And this number is kind of staggering to me. We've provided lessons to over 89,000 students during that time. We never know what those messages have meant to the students. A few years ago, we did have, I think it was three people that had gone through all 12 grades with character counts, and they did a proclamation, and they were here and explained what it meant to them. And um, it's just, I think, important that this was a grassroots effort, and it has been, and it continues to be. And... We're just so grateful that the community came up with the ideas. Our, our after-school programs have done well. Um, we all know they're up and downs with funding and that sort of thing, but uh, we've had one of the top after-school programs, I think, anywhere. We always kind of think of it as like the Cadillac of after-school programs. And uh, so we've, we've done our very best to do what we can. And I think the fact that it's the community doing this is what's made it so important, and it's also allowed it to to uh, go forward. And we hope that uh, it'll continue because sometimes when you listen to the news, you th you think we we, <laughs> we need to be doing more. Absolutely, we we do have businesses of character, and we're working on increasing those numbers. I think uh, are you going to cover that or? I think there's 80, around 80 some now businesses 80. that have signed up to be businesses of character. Um, so that's a little bit of background. And again, it, it, you all know, taking time for this is really, we really do appreciate it. And, I, and, and the people that do the proclamations, the organizations, the individuals, the businesses, they take time and they take pride in the fact of uh, of doing the proclamations, and they really appreciate that you you take the time to read them. And uh, absolutely. Uh, so thank you. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kelly. All right. So in honor of our celebration today, um, we have several guests here. We have Susan Coppage and Wayne Humphreys, mm -hmm. our two co-chairs mm -hmm. of the advisory board. We have Patricia Hackelman, who is our new Character Counts coordinator. Nice. Um, we have quite a few special people out here in our audience. We have Dr. Andrea Kane, who without you and your support in the schools, 
we couldn't do half of it. So thank you there for being there. Um, we have um, Mar- uh, Carla Pullen, who is was our um, Character Counts Coach of the Year for last year. So she's here to join us as well. We've got um, Martha Anthony, who coaches. She was one of our former coaches of the year, and she coaches, oh gosh, six <laughs> classes, right? Five classes right now. Two at Kennard and two at three up at Sudlersville. We've got Steve Scott, who is on the advisory, who has come back and is coaching two classes up at Kennard. And we have two of our former Character Counts coordinators. We have Chris Perkins, who's an advisory member. Um, she's also a coach, and she was the first Character Counts coordinator. And then we have Elaine, who has come back to join us for this special day. So she's here with us as well. So um, did I miss anyone? I think I got everyone. Um, but so we brought a crowd with us excellent, today. Excellent. So um, with that, our we have we have the uh, we have two proclamations here. We're going to go with the first one because of uh, celebrating the 20th year character initiatives in Queen Anne's County, 19 year anniversary as Character Counts Community. So this is Proclamation 19-61. Whereas 20 years ago, the people of Queen Anne's County initially encouraged one another to incorporate positive character choices in the daily life of the community and launched the Winner's Walk Tall Pilot Program in September of 1999 at Kennard Elementary. And whereas one year later in 2000, based on the success of that program, the Queen Anne's County Commissioners officially endorsed the six pillars of character and declared Queen Anne's County a Character Counts community. And whereas Character Counts encourages all citizens, corporate and individual, to incorporate and, and model the invaluable traits of the six pillars, which are trustworthiness, respect, responsibility, fairness, caring, and citizenship, and an ongoing commitment to promote, to promote character development and ethical behavior in our community. And whereas The goals of the Queen Anne's County Character Counts Advisory Council will continue to promote ways to strengthen personal character traits, building families with character, and build a more cohesive community. And whereas over the past years, Character Counts has provided over 89,000 experiences to children delivered by over 1,050 volunteer character coaches and mentors. And whereas local businesses have participated in the Character Counts Initiative as a business of character and community citizens, groups and organizations assisting with monthly proclamations. And whereas Character Counts has been fortunate in building great partnerships in the public school system, county agencies, nonprofits, child care organizations, and family care, as well as elsewhere in the community, and with the help of media partners, the message of Character Counts is widespread throughout our community. And now, therefore, we, the county commissioners of Queen Anne's County, do hereby invite our citizens to celebrate the 20-year character initiative here in Queen Anne's County and our 19th year as official character counts community. Sign the uh, Board of County Commissioners. So there's your first one. Thank you. Thank you. And just to add a little bit as far as um, our short little character counts update. Things are going great. Um, The message is out. We have right now 96 coaches in 128 classes. But last Wednesday, Thursday, I was out at a high school and I just trained eight, nine new um, high school minor coaches that will be placed in some of the classrooms around the county. Wow. So um, that puts us well over our 100. Uh Um, I have more coaches to train. Um, I have more 
you know, I have more coaches to train and more classes to fill, so I'm going to continue just with my training classes, and I, we're going to have a good year. I guarantee Excellent. that. Um, we have the parade next Friday. And I know we have one taker, right? <laughs> was drafted into it. We were drafted. So I didn't know if anyone else wanted to join us um, on Friday night. Um, so definitely let me know. And with that, we move on to our December pillar of caring. Mm-hmm. And we have Steve Scott with the Department of Community Services, the Area Agency on Aging, who has prepared the proclamation for you guys tonight. Okay. And this is uh, Proclamation 19-62, Pillar of the Month Caring, December of 2019, provided by the Queen Anne's County Area Agency on Aging. Whereas Queen Anne's County was declared a Character Counts community, and whereas the Area Agency on Aging brings together multiple agencies and volunteers to build a strong community based on the six pillars of character, and whereas the Area Agency on Aging's primary mission is to provide services and supports to individuals and families to assist them in leading full, productive lives with dignity and purpose while maintaining individual independence for as long as possible. And whereas the Area Agency on Aging promotes a culture of caring which permeates all of the programs and services they offer. And whereas a friendly driver greets the senior at the door or bus stop to be escorted to their destination. And whereas a senior care aide arrives to assist the senior with their personal care and chore needs. And whereas the senior centers provide caring staff to to greet the senior at the door, as well as encourages participation in social activities, nutritious meals, and special events. And whereas concerned staff advocate for seniors locally, statewide, and nationally to elevate the importance and need for services to seniors. And now, therefore, we, the County Commissioners of Queen Anne's County, do hereby designate the Character Counts Pillar of the Month for December to be carried. Signed by the Queen Anne's County Commissioners. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Well, 20 years. I get that, that, that deserves a... Hopefully there'll be 20 more. Well, we've appreciated every every bit of help you all have given. And I know a lot of you or your family members uh, are involved in character counts. And that's... Uh, so I can remember in the first term that I served, um, we hit that 12-year mark. And it was quite a big deal because at that point, we'd actually had our students from the time that they were in first grade and, and exposed to characters counts all the way to the point where, you know, they graduated. So... Uh, that was, to me, that was a milestone for the program for sure, that we actually had kids that, from start to finish in their scholastic uh, endeavors here in the county were exposed to those six pillars. Uh, and I actually had an opportunity to be a Characters Counts coach um, for a fifth grade class um, and a uh, freshman class at Mattapique. So that was very interesting, adjusting the thought processes and how I was preparing my my. Um, sessions with the kids with the age discrepancies between the seniors and the fifth graders but it was a great experience one i'll never forget well that the from everything we've ever seen that the the students form an unbelievable uh, contact with the, the coaches that i've seen things that they've written from statements like you're my best friend to 
uh, or just it's the best part of the whole day. And, I mean, it, it just means a lot to them. They do. They look forward to that, that part in their day when the character coach comes into the classroom. Sometimes they forget, you know, that, that that's the point in their day where we are that they're going to discuss with their characters counts coach that particular pillar of the month. And, and the kids just light up. You know, you'd think it would be Christmas morning sometimes, at least when I walked in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, some, somehow they know that when somebody's volunteering time today, that that's, that's important. So. <clears throat> I find that funny. <laughs> <laughs> really happy to see me, even the freshmen. <laughs> so again, thank you all and for thank the you. time you. And that you, you take and, and for your commitment. Thanks for and keeping it well, Thank the community as well. well for keeping it going. Yeah, that's oh, what makes welcome. it work. Dr. Kane, thank you very much for your, your assistance in the program. Again, if we don't have your stamp of approval, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, and yes. So thank you. Thank have you. a good Thanksgiving. Thank you. You, too. Thank you. Thank you too. Thank you all. All right, commissioners, if you want to, excuse me. Yes, sir. If you want to turn to uh, tab six, item number two, I would like to introduce uh, our next presenter, Scott Gornall, vice president with um, By Any Other Name Enterprises. Is that right? And he's going to talk about new rural broadband technology. Scott? Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Uh, I did have some uh, graphics. I don't know if we have a copy of this slide. All right. Somebody, I think Jonathan came in and put something up there, but he. he Megan, said, are you kidding? We got ahead of IT point. here. Yeah. I bet Megan can figure can, it out. I bet Megan's got it. <laughs> she can't do it. We're in big trouble. Yeah. Sort of hoping she'd be here just for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, commissioners, while we're getting that set up, first, uh, again, my name is Scott Grinnell. Thank you for having me this evening. We've actually been working with some folks in the county already, but felt like this was a good time to make you aware of some of the testing we've done. It's forward. Thank you very much. Um, so again, my name is Scott Grinnell. I'm with Bayon Enterprises. We're based on the other side of the river in Chestertown. We're on the Kent County side. Uh, actually relocated to the Upper Shore about three years ago. And our primary business is helping new companies come to market or companies expand into new markets. And on the second half, that's mostly European technology companies coming to the United States or expanding here. So most of our activities so far has actually been working with your economic development team, actively essentially recruiting companies to come to Queen Anne's County in the Upper Shore. Uh, the other half, uh, we run an educational program with the Department of Agriculture. We partner with Kent County, but it's open to all five counties on the Upper Shore. In fact, we've been working with Dr. Kane's staff, for example, uh, to provide no-cost job skills training uh, to people in all five counties. Uh, in fact, if you go to our website, you'll see it on there. It's open to anybody that's unemployed or underemployed. This technology, though, is a little bit different for us. Mostly we help companies come to market. This was invented by someone here in the state of Maryland. We've licensed the technology, and we're in the early trial phases right now. So in terms of our, just our technology focus, it's primary, primarily information management, information security, uh, and analytics. So in terms of where our partners come from, we have technology partnerships in five, of the con uh, five continents today. We're actively recruiting companies to come to the United States, and we work very closely with Maryland Department of Commerce and U.S. Department of Commerce, U.S. Commercial Services, et cetera. 
What's different, though, with this technology is we're actually looking to commercialize this ourselves. And uh, if the technology pans out, we're actually looking at headquartering the company here in the Upper Shore, which we think it's a great fit for the Upper Shore for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the technology is, is designed really for communities like Queen Anne's and Kent County. It's a new way of delivering broadband services to areas that where the cost in the past had been prohibitive. And essentially what it is, it's a wireless technology that can deliver gigabit speeds. We've tested up to 20 miles today. Most of these products will go in hundreds of yards, maybe a mile or so. This has the potential, we feel, to deliver over a much longer distance. And really what it's focused on, uh, Megan Delgadio's uh, GIS team was kind enough to provide this map to us. The darker the circle, the more we have people who have no broadband service at all today in the county. So essentially what this technology is for is today a, 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 an ISP or a carrier like an Atlantic Broadband has to look at the cost of putting wires in the ground from wherever they have wires in the ground today out to a cluster of homes. And that's a math problem for them. There's a, they so much a month they charge those customers and this is probably not a new map for you, and this is not a new problem for many rural communities around the country. What this technology was designed to do was to replace what a carrier calls backhaul fiber. It's the fiber that just goes from one clump of homes to the next. They know how much that costs. If this technology is less expensive, it can reduce the cost of connecting those remote homes. It could be a viable means for them to change their cost metrics and maybe make some communities where it wasn't viable before, if we can bring that cost down, that might change the metrics for them because at the end of the day, what we want to see is rural communities getting service from at least one provider in a way that's commercially viable because we know if it's not going to be a successful business venture for them, they're either not going to do it or if they start, they're going to pull out. So where are we today? This is a, a mock-up of the technology. The technology was originally funded by the Department of Defense for some very specific applications. It's already been tested by them and used in very harsh environments for over 20 miles. However, that's a very different type of use than a commercial Internet service provider. The Department of Defense was using it for a small number of people over a long distance. The demands of an Internet service provider are very different. So what we're doing now is we're in trials with at least one ISP that has ex plans to expand into Queen Anne's County. They've actively been working with your folks and presented some plans. Uh, I don't know the details. That's obviously their business. But I, knew the, I do know that they're actively planning on expanding into the county. So where this would fit would be to go from existing fiber connections, uh, maybe from the Maryland Broadband Coalition, for example, as an exit point, go wirelessly out to a remote development of homes. And on the other side, there's a, a second box where the carrier comes up, runs a wire essentially down a pole or a cell phone tower, wherever the box may be, and then they put a wire into the ground. And at that point, they just go back to doing what they normally do. So we're not looking to change the model at all. You still have a cable box in your home, et cetera. It's really just replacing that one wire that goes from point A to point B that makes it so expensive and limits how some of these rural areas can get service. So why am I here? Well, we've already been working with some of your folks to look at 
for example, where are the problem areas? And I have to say, uh, I know the crowd firm is probably a little biased, but everyone in every department we've asked uh, for help, asked for questions, et cetera, everybody has been super responsive, uh, really been fantastic help. Knowledgeable teams, uh, I'm sure you know already, but you have really some fantastic partners. GIS department, zoning and planning, economic development, everybody's been wonderful. Uh, and the reason it's been particularly helpful, and this is why we're here, is we have a timeline we're working against. There are some infrastructure grants coming af up after the first of the year. Those grants can only be used for commercially established technologies. What that means for everyone in the room is if this is going to be utilized, if an internet service provider gets a grant to provide connectivity to a geography, for example, they are then on the hook to make that happen, whether it's with this technology or something else. So we have a short window to test this equipment uh, to determine that it's going to work for these service providers so that then after the first of the year, they can include it as part of their grant requests, whether it's state or federal. There are some areas where they're going to apply for grants anyway. Those are, there are folks I know, we've already spoken to many carriers around in the area, they're already planning on applying for grants, and you probably know about those. What this would do would be al allow them to apply for additional grant funds to go to service areas that perhaps they were not planning on servicing in 2020, or in some cases, unfortunately, may not have had any immediate plans. And in listening to your team, it sounds like the southeast corner of the county, and particularly the northeast county corner of the county, excuse me, are, are particularly challenging for these companies to see a way to make it a viable business. So what this is not, it's not a replacement for traditional internet service from an Atlantic broadband or one of those carriers. Uh, it's not for home service. This is not meant where you can have a wireless product in your home and you can connect to one of these towers. This is really just about initially about replacing that long fiber. And by the way, that the cost for those in a straight line is about 5 to $10 a foot. That's if there are no obstructions, if there's no water, uh, if there are none of the things that make pretty much Queen Anne's County what it is. <laughs> By the way, Kent County has the same problem. We have homes on our little fingers of land. We've got buckets of water. We've got farms. And if they want to go through a farm, that farmer's not going to let you go through there during growing season. So there's a limited time when you can even do it. They face a lot of challenges. And again, anyone who's dealt with broadband, this is not news. I mean, we've been dealing with this for years. So uh, why am I here again? Really for two reasons. One, we'd like to start testing in Queen Anne's County. We see areas where there's an obvious fit. We don't want to duplicate anything that's available today. We'd like to test in some areas where there is no service. This way, if it's hit or miss, if it's spotty, no one's losing anything. So we have a phased testing program that we're going through, going, starting with internal testing with two different ISPs. There should be a third by next week. So all of this will be tested to a certain amount before we bother anyone with requirements that need permitting. But to go a certain distance and beyond, we're going to have to put a, one of these boxes on a utility pole or a building or something. And then when we get to that point, then we are going to need to talk to your zoning and planning folks. The, so two requests. One, uh, the ISPs have asked if we could get an offer of assistance, if needed, uh, with the state, if there's any state permitting issues. 
I'll be honest, it's not my area of expertise, but what we heard from all of them was sometimes at a state level, they didn't see any issues at a county level. Uh, so uh, we specifically heard from uh, literally all of them that they might need some help from your folks in pushing through some of these things to meet certain deadlines. Um, it sounds like their deadlines are starting in January with some of the applications that will go in. Um, you all may know some of these application programs better than I do, but those are the that's we're looking to get this tested in about 60 to 90 days at the most. Uh, our current schedule had the testing to happen no sooner than the June-July timeframe, but in looking at the previous map and with the grant funding that's coming up, we'd actually like to try to expedite that. Uh, if we can get it in as part of the infrastructure proposals, uh, it would be an opportunity for us to possibly provide service in some of the harder-to-reach areas in the county uh, prior to 2021. So the only other request is we may need some financial assistance to get engineering talent. Uh, I'll be honest, we have three trials going, and we're a small business, so we're, our, our crews are pretty much maxed out. So uh, the ISPs have asked for our help. We're kind of limited in what we could provide. So uh, we may need to ask for some financial assistance if we're going to expedite it. But, again, the, the main uh, reason was to let you know why we're here, what we're doing, and what the purpose is. And uh, the person who's licensing the technology to us, by the way, he's a very prolific inventor, and he's, what he's asking for is ridiculously low with one caveat, that we use the extra money that he's not, we're not giving him to pay for educational services. He's a professor at the University of Maryland. He's a brilliant man, and um, it's a really interesting technology. So with that, um, I'll stop, and I'll ask... I'll, ask if you have any questions or if there's anything I can elaborate on what I've said so far. Sure. So I heard the rollout the other day, as you know, and that sure. it was interesting that to me that the actual range of one of these units was actually a half, what was it, a half mile? For the long-distance connections, we can go up to 40, but if you wanted to actually connect people, a consumer, to the Internet, you can actually go out to about half a mile. And where that comes into really play is not just for consumers, but for ag. If I'm a farmer, I can put a box up on a grain silo so I can hook up my house. And anybody that's bought a John Deere in the past 20 years knows that you don't drive those things anymore. Yeah. They're GPS-driven, all that. That's, so our farmers really need access to this. So, so. so I, I take the point of, of that, but that means that you'd have to have sort of one per mile if you were really providing coverage over us, would you give us some sort of idea what the price of one of these things would be? Sure. Actually, you wouldn't need one per mile. Um, you would just need an access point, and then the, the uh, service providers would then run up their own wires, and right. so you might need a few in the county. Right. Anyway. So uh, a pair of these, uh, so we, we don't sell them, to, we only sell them to Internet service providers. So ballpark I can give you a ballpark range is in the forty to sixty thousand for a pair. So mm -hmm. which is in for most cases significantly less than what they're gonna to pay to run the fiber out yeah. to those remote areas. And I would caution that that's preliminary pricing. We're we're working with the carriers. Bottom line is we want to make it for the product to be successful, it has to make financial sense for the service providers. That's that's the bottom line. If it's if it doesn't change the cost metrics then it will mean nothing. 
Okay. Any other questions? No. Thank you very much. Is there a place where we can go to get find out some more information about this Absolutely. The technology? Absolutely. Um, happy to. Um, or can I send it to yes, you? And then sure maybe she can okay. just distribute it. And okay. uh, happy to. Thank, Thank you, you all. Scott. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. All right. All right, commissioners, um, tab six, item three, page number eight. We have our Board of Education FY21 Capital Improvement Plan for state funding. I see Dr. Kane out there and Sid Pender, John Fister, and Carla Pullen are going to come up and present this to you. And this is an action item tonight for your consideration as well. So I'll turn it Good over evening. to Dr. Kane. Mm-hmm. Good, Good evening. evening, everyone. Thank you for having us. Um, we're going to talk a bit tonight about our capital improvement plan. Um, of course, I have with me our uh, planning and facilities, Carla Pullen, operations chief, uh, Sid Pender, and CFO, John Fister. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Pullen. Very good. Good evening, commissioners. For the record, my name is Carla Pullen. I'm the facilities planner for Queen Anne's County Public Schools. And the purpose of our visit this evening is to outline for you and request your approval of our building construction funding for the school system for fiscal year 2021. These are the state-funded projects only that we're discussing this evening. As you're aware, the state IAC and the public school construction program require a letter from this body that signifies that you're in agreement with these projects and are in support of providing the county's portion of the necessary funding if these projects are indeed co-funded by the state when they make their final decisions for the fiscal year. And again, we're talking next fiscal year 2021. When we determine our project priorities every year, we look at several important classifications. Number one is life safety. Then we look at the building envelope and the needs there. We look at the capacity of each of our buildings. We look at our energy efficiency and then systemic replacement and what things are coming to the end of their useful life. Our facilities assessment that we have talked to you about several times is very, very helpful in that challenge. So for fiscal year 2021, we have four project priorities. I'll outline them just very quickly for you. Number one is Bayside Elementary School. This is the exterior window and door replacement. Overall total cost $328,000. The county portion of that we are asking for $180,000. This project has original 1991 storefront doors and windows. They're in poor condition. It's time for them to be replaced. There are some painted surfaces that have started to peel. We are seeing some instances of rust. There are concrete ramps at the exterior entrances of all of the classrooms that have started to fall that provides us some challenges with ADA accessibility. We also plan at the time of this replacement to make some security upgrades to the door hardware. Specifically, these doors do not have panic bars in the need of an emergency to get out quickly, so we'd like to make those updates as well. Our second priority is Sellersville Elementary School. This is the chiller replacement. Overall total cost, $337,000. The county's portion, we would be asking for $184,000. This is a 20-year-old, 240-ton chiller. It's required some atypical maintenance on compressors, condensing fans, and the frequency drives over the past few years, and it's time for that piece to be replaced. 
Priority number three, also at Settlersville Elementary School, this is the fire alarm replacement. Uh, overall total, $332,000. The county portion, only $182,000. Uh, the existing fire alarm system was installed in 1999, and we are at a point where both the smoke and the heat detectors are difficult to replace. The project will also upgrade the pole station so that they'll be code compliant and they'll be at the correct height in that building then. And we're moving to speaker and strobe systems in all of our buildings as opposed to um, just strobe. So when you say con uh, um, code height... Yes. Are they they're too low now or they're too high? Or? A little bit too high. Yes, too they high. need to come down, and it's really about an inch difference. <laughs> so were they not code compliant when they put in? or They were code changed? compliant with the code has changed. And yes. since you're redoing it, you have to now meet Correct. code. Correct. We now, yes, we now meet okay. code. Yes. ADA? Yes, correct. Priority number four is Ken Island High School. This is an overall roof replacement. Total project cost, $4,480,000. County's portion, $2,440,000. Uh, the roof that we have there is 23 years old. We have partial shingle and partial low-slope modified roof. The shingle roofing sections on a commercial building of this size, it's just difficult, especially with its uh, proximity to the bay and the wind events that we get. Shingles are difficult on that building. Um, we have 150,000 square feet of roof. And what we'll be asking during the bidding process is to provide an alternate to replace those shingles with metal roofing instead, which will give us much better longevity, uh, much greater warranty, and we think much better performance. We'll be planning to schedule this job so that we're doing it over two consecutive summers. We don't believe that we'll be able to finish the entire project over one summer, and it will be pretty intrusive to students. So we plan to do the uh, metal section and or shingles first, and then the low slope <coughs> summer. And we've heard that two-year project thing. <laughs> Anything with that. <laughs> Why is it a, it's always a two-year two project? <laughs> Can't we just do it in a year and be done with it? It's going to make my head hurt, that's all. There is a possibility that with the right contractor, they would see the benefit in that too, and they would just work to get it done in one summer. And promises, we could, promises. We could hope for she that. went to a seminar sure. that MDTA must have. I was just going to say. <laughs> they must teach that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are the projects that we have for this year. If you have questions, we'd be glad to answer them at this I time. I do. So, with the uh, splits, if the $2.2 billion omnibus construction bill gets done and MSA takes over the bonding and it's supposed to go to a true 50-50 split, these projects will qualify? That I'm not sure of. This is what we're dealing with is public school construction, so anything that's dealing with right but that's what this is that's what this is doing the new right. cip is mm -hmm. going to go through msa so mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be the way the bill was written it's now going to be a true 50 50 to the counties including engineering soft costs and all that everything will be covered can you just check on that and see if we, these, we can. If we these will qualify can. with under that we absolutely can i can tell you that the conversations that i've had with public school construction it's not clearly outlined yet how that will happen. So we haven't been given much direction, but we'll definitely pose that question and see if we can get any new updates. Yeah, so I guess my question is, since these are next year's budget items, they would fall after the 
the General Assembly next year, which means anything that goes in should affect any of these CIP projects, correct? Correct. But they would have to, yeah, it, I guess it is potential, but we, because they haven't given us direction as far as that 50-50 split now goes. So I don't know if they're going to make us go back and requalify or if they're going to roll it and just change that percentage. I don't know. I mean, I would think mm -hmm. they would. I mean, that was the indication they gave because Baltimore County's got a boatload of projects mm -hmm. in and I don't think they're going to make them re go back and requalify them. So I think they're just going to take what's on the table and mm -hmm. shift the money. I would guess. I mean, that I would, would make think, sense. But we haven't gotten direct. Because, I mean, that's a savings on our end. That's a right. pretty significant right. on this end, almost three-quarters of a million. So, okay. Thank you. We'll find out. Any other questions? See, I, I guess I have a question. Okay. And just outside of the ones you're asking is the one I've been asking for for the last eight months, uh, the uh, new Board of Education office and our ICE Academy, the feasibility. Yes. Uh, is, does this mean that we haven't even started that? The feasibility study, we're in the process of meeting with architects and engineers to complete that study internally. Um, what we have discussed is that for fiscal year 2021, for next fiscal year, we would be looking at the planning and design costs and then construction funding in fiscal year 2022. Okay. okay. And, and that is, again, open for discussion and for your input, of course. Um, that's where we are in the planning process. Okay. What is the cost on the feasibility and the... Uh, what are your estimated costs? You don't have anything on here for us to look at. What is your... Uh, well, the feasibility cost was funded last fiscal year. So okay, we so have 200000 What do you yes. think the cost on the next level would be to get the gyms pointed? If we Can we move it up a year? What's right. We believe that the building is an $11 million cost at this point. Mm -hmm. That's with preliminary cost estimates. Mm -hmm. But you would still need the engineering, which right. would be the planning, yes. which, which are, that, you've got pushed out to 2022, 2023. Correct. I we think would what be Jim's looking, asking is move it back a year to 2021, 2022. What would that cost be? Right? Yeah, sure. Okay. I, I think we're still in that same range. Until the feasibility study is conducted, we're still looking at an $11 million cost. Well, I'm, not, that, I'm, I'm more worried about when's this feasibility study going to be done. This is the never-ending feasibility study, and I just want to get to that so decisions can be made, and then we can move forward from there or not. So, Understood. Okay. Very good. Uh, so do we need a, a motion? Motion to accept the four CIP projects as presented for funding. Second. Okay. We have a motion and a second. Any other discussions? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you very much. Thank so you. just a quick question, Sid. Yes, and, and And... <laughs> Looking at these dollars that we just committed to, um, we have we, committed. Just remember, this isn't. This is just to just allow them to go forward. Right. My point is, I, I was going to ask where we were, just because we had some bus drivers uh, bringing up questions regarding the cameras and where we are on the cameras mm -hmm. for the buses. Yeah, good call. So we are meeting actually next Tuesday with the company, and we're hoping to have everything up and rolling when. Um, 
after Christmas break. Okay. So we have. And the, so you'll be meeting with them after Christmas. <clears throat> no, we're meeting next week with the company that will be installing the cameras okay. on the buses. So you'll be installing uh, after Christmas during break. Dur- during break is so what our time frame is. Yes, sir. How and many is it? Is there like a rollout? For the buses, what buses you're going to do? So yes, basically we've turned in studies to the companies of the um, where each time somebody runs a red light, we uh, the bus driver calls it in. So we've identified areas that we think ah, we want to target. Habitual, prone to so habitual. yes. Right. So we have all those along with we also have two grants with uh, one with Centerville PD and one with the Sheriff's Department who are actively doing red light enforcement and paying you know for the deputies and the officers to follow the buses to implement that part. But so we've taken that information also. But we've been collecting data. I'd probably say for the past five years, um, just trying to identify those areas. I would say there is a higher volume of traffic on Kent Island, mm-hmm. but I'll say where you see the most is up north, um, Route 213, mm-hmm. Route 300, 302 are uh, very prone. Um, along with uh, is it where there's long stretches, so people just want to just stretches. And I'll be honest with you, um, just some people are just impatient. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just and it's just one more tool. If we can get you know when we get this established, being put in there, um, the money generated from this goes back to the sheriff's department. You know, so that we can, you know, because it's going to cost them some time because they have to approve all the tickets and citations and all that stuff. So we don't want to bear the the sheriff's department with any extra cost. So that was our plan going forward. So once we meet with them um, on Tuesday, it's actually at nine o'clock. Margaret Ellen, uh, Kavanovich, and myself. We're going to uh, have a setup so that we can do the installation over Christmas break. So total rollout time, I think that's what the public's really probably yeah, concerned it, about. Well, what, what are you looking at? We're, we're, look, we're looking at having it implemented after Christmas break. So every bus after Christmas? No, every bus. So no. that's what I'm saying. What, so when do you so what, priority what we'll have, you'll have about eight buses starting out okay. to make sure how it goes. Um, we, 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 you know, you have to go out there. We you know, did... Uh, RFPs and all on this process. There were some companies that wanted to offer every bus for this, but they really didn't have a good track record. Um, and you, you really got to look back at uh, each company and see what it's based upon and if there's any issues in the past with this. Um, the company we're using um, is in several other counties in the state of Maryland and have a proven track record. So it's going to be about eight buses starting out out of 72, all right, to make sure that is what you know, everything is set in place before we implement even mm-hmm. even more. Makes sense. So, yeah. Okay. And then and then after those eight buses are done, it's you could have clusters the, of ten, fifteen. Could have the potentials to roll out more. Okay. Um, that the other option we're also looking at the state of Maryland, it's going to change up a little bit of the camera system. But they're offering now certain companies where the arm, the stop arm, actually goes out into the middle of the road instead of the little sign. Mm. Um, but what MVA is now requiring for this test pilot program is for an additional camera to be placed upon the front of the bus. Now, no citation is issued, but they just want to do a case study of, you know, how many people are running it and actually hitting the extended arm out. Um, there's some studies in other states where they've been pretty successful with this. But again, it's taking those small steps with MVA to get their, you know, for everything to be compliant. But um, I will say this, the Sheriff's Department's been very supportive in helping us out with the grant portion, along with Centerville PD. So we're, we're, it's never going to stop, but what we can do to try to protect the, the students and the safety, I mean, it's nothing worse every day when I hear the, the radio mm-hmm. and somebody calls in. Um, it's even worse when somebody calls in and says, hey, it was on the drop-off side, you know, that somebody passed on that side. So 
it's split second decisions that you know the bus drivers are making every day with cars coming at you. So, um, how about replacing them arms with a six inch steel I beam? <laughs> I'm sure the MVA would have bit. something with that too. But yes, so we can update you on that. But like I said, it's, we're meeting on Tuesday at nine o'clock to begin the process. And you're on a Christmas break right now. I mean Christmas, Thanksgiving. Uh, yes. Yeah. Started yeah, Wednesday. Was last day. Mm-hmm. Was last day. Okay. Yep. Good. And the the bridge traffic is. We've had a, surviving. Yesterday was a little rough, yeah. um, but we are we're surviving. Okay. Um, we try to send out a uh, school messenger. To you parents. did. You did. Letting them know. That helps. Um, and basically, we got TV screens with just all the monitors that they're watching the traffic to see what's happening. Um, and we've, we've had a few delays, but it it's, hasn't been okay. you know, that bad. But we'll make the best of it. Right. Good. Very good. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Too. Yeah. We'll, we'll stay away from the two-year thing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Still backed up. Man, it's still backed up in the bridge, Jim. Excuse me? The bridge is still jam-packed on the going east. I mean, but they said that. They said that the, well, the tomorrow. Volume. Tomorrow they said the Tuesday to Saturday is the, oh, yeah. the MDTA update they gave us. All right, commissioners, uh, item number four, page way. 11. Our feature presentation this evening from the Spending Affordability Committee. We have Director John Seaman, Budget and Finance, and his committee, and uh, McKinnon McKim- West and Joe Zimmerman. The infant shows Zimmerman. Yes, right. And uh, John Wilson, also a member of the committee, is not here this evening, but um, two out of three is not bad. There's a song that says that. That's right. All right. So good to see you. Uh, good to be here. Thank you. He's, Thursday said he was coming. I, yeah. I talked to him. He's, he's okay. Yeah. But. Yeah. Good. All right. Welcome. Um, Take good it away. See you. Good, see you. good evening. I think you know our commissioners, mm-hmm. Joseph Zimmerman mm-hmm. and McKinnon Welsh. Uh, who have been our committee members for the last um, several years. And so we have an annual uh, process that we go through, and we met with them uh, twice this year in October and uh, produce a report that is basically preparing for the FY21 budget. So I'm going to go through, you know, kind of quickly what we did, and then we'll get to the recommendations, and committee members will you know, have the opportunity to, to comment as we go along. Um, so, uh, we go through um, a process of reviewing uh, kind of where the county is in terms of demographics, in terms of, um, you know, the economy, the finances of the county. So, um, we are structurally balanced. These are all things that, of course, we've, you know, brought to the rating agencies in New York, which of course have resulted in our getting two AAA bond ratings, but we have low unemployment, we have very high per capita, our accessible base growth has been pretty slow uh, really since the, se- the recession and hasn't picked up um, greatly, so it's been sort of moderately increasing, but our income tax has been our area of strong growth. Um, so one of the things we do is we go over the debt measures, I mean one of the really important areas uh, for the county, this is true when we go to the rating agencies too, is looking at, we have a policy with regard to how much debt we're issuing. And so, um, let's see, I'll get to the graphics. So we have several measures that we look at. This is debt as a percentage 
of accessible base. Um, and so, you know, there's a um, policy guideline of 2.5%, and we've stayed well below that. That's kind of a standard measure uh, that most counties use, but we're going to get to a little bit later where we're, you know, one of the recommendations is to take a look at our debt measures and do some comparisons with other counties. Uh, this second measure is per capita debt to per capita income, and we're also well within the range here, a maximum of 8%. Uh, and this measure, which is debt as a percentage of general fund expenditures, and we have the committee set a guideline or a requirement to stay below 10%. And so what we've done is we've applied the six-year capital budget to this, estimating what sorts of bond sales we would have in the out in the out years, and this is where we would show up. And so as long as we keep to that, we would stay within the 10% range, 10% guideline. We then talked about Kerwin, because that's obviously one of the major... Um, you know, financial factors going forward that's going to be critical to the county. And so we went through the information we had at the time, which gave us essentially what the county's local share would be that had kind of just been reported or had been uh, shared by the commission. This was before they actually had formally adopted their um, final uh, recommendations. But we uh, kind of looked at where the county, the county currently is providing $59 million to the Board of Education, and this uh, kind of shows how you get to a figure that would be $76 million in fiscal year 30. This is the county portion only. And here's the um, part of this that is looking at county by county, and the local share is the number we're talking about, which for us is 76 million. And one of the things that the General Assembly staff did was do an estimate of where would the counties be if they basically continued on their trajectories that they'd used over the last several years. So if they kind of followed that same pattern, where would you be? And in our case, they projected us at 77 million in FY30, and the local share was $76 million. So that kind of tells us that um, we'd kind of be on track if we kept doing the same things that we've been doing, which is not the case with some other jurisdictions. I mean, we come off actually you know, considerably better um, than some of the others who have kind of a, you know, a pretty uh, significant uh, burden in terms of where they're going to be over the next 10 years. Okay, so getting to the recommendations. Um, the committee members indicated they're encouraged to see the financial stability of the county. Uh, I would say that they emphasize caution in projecting future revenue and in taking on new spending levels in light of any impending and inevitable economic slowdown. As income taxes have increased as a percentage of total revenue, there is increased volatility in general fund revenues. The committee notes that during the last recession, income taxes dropped by $12.7 million over two years, or 17% per year. Okay, so in terms of the recommendations, 
um, and you all are free to jump in at any point and make make your comments. But um, the um, office should continue to revise, review, and advise of the potential budgetary impacts of the Kerwin Commission recommendations and conclusions, and of course where that comes out in terms of the General Assembly. Uh, the committee has considered the number of potential capital projects over the next four to six years and advises careful consideration of future debt and funding levels for the capital budget. Um, that's perhaps a mild way of saying, you know, what, what, what is, you know, looking at what potentially could be out there. I do think, you know, we're going to have to be um, pretty frugal in some ways with limiting to some of our larger projects because there are some pretty big projects out there. Some of them, you know, the Board of Ed projects that we talked about this evening with the, the uh, Centerville Middle School. Of course, there's a detention center project. So um, when I look at the next four to six years, we um, kind of is using that debt measure. We'd have to be pretty careful to kind of stay on track with what our plans are and not exceed them. Uh, the county should ensure during the capital budget process the capital fund balance is in hand and available for appropriation in the upcoming budget year um, so that we have, I mean, the capital fund balance has been a pretty regular source of funding for our capital budget, and sometimes that can get us into a little bit of a situation where we are anticipating receiving funding, which we get at the end of the year, and then we do a year-end transfer, but we need to sort of, this is saying we really need the money in hand before we get to that point. Um, county could, should, there's a, uh, county should consider the debt measure of debt per capita, and then as an additional measure, and the committee recommends a debt policy be reviewed and updated to include additional measures as appropriate, and a report be prepared comparing the county's measures to other similar jurisdictions. So I think it's time we've had these debt measures in place for, I guess, about five years now. So I think it's time to kind of review that again and look at, well, I don't know what that was. Let's see. Um, okay. Commissioners are urged to consider and maintain an awareness of the potential for economic and fiscal impacts from climate change um, was one of the recommendations from uh, the, the commissioners. The committee encourages the continued emphasis on maintaining support for items that allow the county to sustain services and stay ahead of the curve in times of fiscal stress. And this is one of the things that we've also um, talked about when we go to New York, which is to say that to the extent there is a, you know, a slowdown, that we've kind of stayed ahead with some of the things like a regular replacement plans for vehicles, for taking care that our salary classifications are done, um, salary studies are done on a regular basis. Uh, so that, you know, to the extent there is a slowdown, we're, we're caught up and those don't become, you know, additional liabilities. I could, I could interject. That, that was a definite asset in your favor uh, about eight years ago when you suffered a complete train wreck. Uh, your fleet was up to date. Your roads were in pretty good shape. Your bridges were in pretty good shape. You didn't have immediate infrastructure problems that had to be addressed in, in a time of decreasing revenues. So that really helped... With all the other bad things that were happening, that wasn't one of them that bore into the problem at the same time. So that, that helped. And that was something that Public Works had paid a lot of attention to over the years and, and should be commended for even eight years later. 
Right. Um, county should continue to provide for a more logical and fiscally sound practice of budgeting shorter-term capital assets such as vehicles in the operating budget. So this is, um, you know, one of our practices has been, and we've talked about some of this before. Some of you have, you know, sort of recommended uh, some different approaches, but we have sort of going back to the uh, time of the recession, we kind of moved some of the uh, capital items that I would consider not capital budget, but capital outlay, which probably belong in the operating budget. We've put them in the capital budget. Um, they're not really, you know, 20 years. They're like vehicles and, and even computers and things that probably really belong in the operating budget. And so they're recommending that we uh, try to be more fiscally prudent and, and make more sense fiscally sound if we moved, uh, started a process of moving those back into the operating budget. Uh, the committee advises caution in considering mid-year out-of-budget cycle capital or operating projects. That must have been my recommendation. When you look at it, it's, it's easy to look at a single item out of context and, and forget how that might fit into your overall priorities. And that's what out-of-cycle things kind of cause you to do. That can lead to a decision you may not be happy with when you look at your CIP in total in the next budget cycle. Say, so, wow, if we'd known that, then we wouldn't have done something. So... It's simply a, a tool to help you make better judgments. Um, and uh, the um, develop criteria for the strategic use of unassigned fund balance to recognize its nature as a one-time source of funding best used as means of mitigating debt. And this goes at sort of looking at, you know, the way that we use PAYGO and the extent to which we can, you know, in light of, uh, what could be kind of stresses on our debt levels using the uh, unassigned fund balance to help mitigate some of the um, additional debt. And that is all of the recommendations. We're good. <laughs> um, I, guess, I guess we get a we get a B rating or an A rating. Are we? Let's get a real good attaboy. Well, uh, there you go, an attaboy. <laughs> That's like all. That. I'll a take a bit of an attaboy. I'll take it attaboy. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, you, you'll remember back a few years. Uh, I guess in 2010, I was first involved in this. Um, you came along in 2011 in that committee. Right. And in between, there was this little event that I referred to as a train wreck, but it was all that bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of a sudden, revenues were down by 17, 18 billion dollars, and. Several dozen people were out of work, and lots of bad things happened. Um, you're a long way from that today, and you should be commended, you and your previous commissioners, on that, on your efforts to get there. You've got a solid financial base underneath you. You can suffer a recession and not have to do that kind of draconian reductions in service that you saw eight years ago. Because if that had continued, that infrastructure buildup you had where your roads were good, your fleet was fresh, all that would be long gone. And you'd be looking like Dorchester County in the 80s in terms of the quality of their equipment. Or so, the 2020s at the rate they're going now. So. I, I remember the, well, they looked in the 80s. So um, it's all good at the moment. It's, you know, pay attention and keep at it, and uh, you'll be fine. Excellent. And I think Thank the you. only thing I'd add is, is on the um, things like cars, the things with less than a 20-year 
you know, shelf life. Yeah. Um, you know, I understand, you know, times of recession, you, you do what you have to do. But you guys are doing really well economically. And I think that even if you carry it in your show it as a future need, that you still pay with it um, from your operating. I think that was... Uh, the, the original idea in the CIP was things like patrol cars, other vehicles, uh, short life, you know, five to ten year vehicles. You plan for them in the CIP to ensure that they are under consideration, that you know you've got to replace so many sheriff's cars every year. If you don't, you know what happens. You end up with a mess. So you plan for them and use a, a PAYGO funding source as a transfer from the operating budget. That's how that was built originally. And straight away in the recession, a lot of folks did the same things. Mm-hmm. And to get back to that, it's almost, almost like you're leasing them because it's a continuing cost. They're a disposable asset. You know, they go away. And you need to continually replace them, or your fleet goes out. And have that. Okay. Um, I think you've normally voted on accepting these recommendations. Okay. Move to I accept move the that we accept these funding. recommendations as stated. Second. Second. I'll second. There we go. <laughs> We have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Well, we appreciate the, the effort. Absolutely. I really would like to just very take well one second and thank you to folks for the many hours and much work that goes into this. It's your commendable people. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much, All right, commissioners, we can move into uh, legislation. We have two pieces for consideration. Introduction, we want to turn to tab number seven. First, we have ordinance 1917. I'll introduce it. All right, Jim. Good job, Jim. Mm. All right. (laughs) And secondly, we have ordinance 1919. Uh, Introduce that one. That's what Todd did not want us to do, right? Right. right. Yep. That's why I wanted to introduce that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that concludes our legislation. We have uh, press and public comments next. Anybody? Does anybody want to speak? Okay, well, we're going to close press and public comment. We'll save you that have breath. Read that. We'll go right to a uh, roundtable, and uh, we'll start with Commissioner Jack Wilson. All right. Um, first, before I go into my long thing, I want to say I want to wish everybody out there a happy Thanksgiving. We don't have to do the Christmas because I think we got another meeting in between, right? So we're good for just Thanksgiving this time. Um, also, uh, I think it's something that we talked about, and I, brought, I talked to Todd today about it, but I know I've had a conversation with you guys. So we have this ongoing issue with the um, radio service in dead zones here in the county. Um, the, the FEC, DES has come up with a workaround, and I think we even talked about this maybe at a previous roundtable, but we, we need to fund it to get the, uh, we want to do four vehicles this year, and what happens is those vehicles become a command center, so they can go to, um, into the area where the dead zone is, and they set up command, then all the radios work uh, in the building if it's a dead zone, and, and an example of a dead zone right now is actually the medical building behind the emergency center. So obviously a critical building that we can't have a dead zone if we have an issue in there for emergency services. Um, This is a much cheaper fix than putting these repeaters, which is the route we were going before, at $50,000 a pop, I think it was, per building, and then still having issues with them. Um, So this is what the FEC, DES, has come up with as a fix. And like I said, I'm pretty sure I've talked to everybody about them. Um, But they want to do three this year. 
Um, DES is going to put up uh, the money. That we would have to pay for the programming of the radios because they've got to program every single radio. But once they're programmed once, they're good. And then over the next two years, we would finish fitting out one chief car from each volunteers, and DES would have two of their chase cars would have them. So we'd have 11 different command points at any given time. So if we have one on the bridge, wherever it would have to be, we would, and it would cover us in the county and make our radios work everywhere. And it's just they've all come up with this being the easiest fix. So um, I, Todd's going to work on getting that together so we can have it at the next meeting. But they'd like to get the four in place after the first of the year, and then we'll put the rest into the capital budget going forward to fit out the rest um, in terms of the vehicles. So just a heads up on that. Okay. Um, and lastly, but not leastly, is Kerwin, since Jonathan brought that up and I spent a couple hours on the committee up there. Um, so to go beyond what Jonathan said about the effects on just, and I'm just going to deal with Queen Anne's County, um, ultimately... He, he, he's 100% right that Queen Anne's County, basically on the trajectory we've uh, put forth here as a commissioners, and not necessarily by choice, but by the state escalator, which we're all familiar with each year, um, because Queen Anne's County under the wealth formula was getting um, basically a uh, penalty for not funding at the level that the state would require under the MOE um, calculations. So we were always required to put in between 1.5 and 1.7 of an escalator. So when they figured Queen Anne's County out, they said, okay, Queen Anne's County, you're always going to have to put that escalator in, which ultimately we would because I think the last three years we've had to, and going forward, I don't think we'd ever meet the requirements. So anyway, long story short, so that 1.7 is what they figured is us. So if we continue to put that in for the next 10 years, that would cover the county's portion of the Kerwin Commission. So basically no additional money over what we're already doing in terms of maintenance of effort escalator would be required. Now the state's done away, Kerwin has done away with the escalator, but that would still be the amount. So really net effect for the county out of county coffers is really zero. Um, so we did work out very well. In addition to that, we will be getting an additional million dollars from the state. So it will make our year over year rise here in Queen Anne's County for the school budget about $3.2 million total, 1.5 from the state, 1.7 from the county. Um, that's all the good news. The bad news is there's about 10 or 15 different items that Kerwin failed to address in terms of uh, long-term issues that are going to be what I would call unintended consequences of the, the, the whole plan. Uh, and one of them that we've looked at, and we know here in Queen Anne's County is going to become an issue, is the raising the minimum teacher salaries to $60,000. It's going to cause what we all are aware of and know about, it, the, the term is salary compression. And that's something that the state didn't even, the current commission at no level even took into account. DLS even admitted they never even looked at that because they figured the counties would pick that up. And that can be a sizable number. Because as an example right now, our starting salaries here in Queen Anne's County is about 42000 for a first-year teacher. Um, if you're going to raise that, uh, elevate that to 60000 basically that's, the math's not hard to do. That's an $18,000 a year raise. Um, and that equates now to about a 9- to 10-year teacher here in Queen Anne's County to that level. So, again, you raise that up, that 9- to 10-year teacher is not going to want to be making $2,000 more than a brand-new teacher coming through the door. So that's going to basically slide that entire scale up, uh, that percentage. Um, and, that's, and, and that's going to take your, your workman's comp. All the other associated things with salary are going to go up with that because that's how it works. So, But out of that 
1.5 million that or 1.7 million that we'll, we will be giving every year. Is that enough to jump those? I well, mean, do they have the funds to do it? Because if they don't, good job, Jim. Okay, just, just, you got me right where I'm I need to attention. Be. So, so here, so again, you guys this, dude. There's a little layup right there. You see yeah, that? that was that's <laughs> a softball. that was a softball. So yes, so and and because you sat in and we've all sat in, we've we've heard from the board of ed that that a teacher step here in the county as under the existing plan is approximately between one point five and one point seven million dollars. So more or less that wipes out the the county's portion every year. So that basically leaves one point five million dollars to get everything else done in the school system, including raises, additional raises, colas, things like that. Because that one point seven is strictly the step that doesn't count the cola in there. Um, that doesn't give your bus drivers, your uh, janitorial staff, any of your other uh, outside teachers, uh, that, you've got 1.5 to do that. And so to your point, Jim, no. And I've talked to Dr. Kane, and I've talked to other, uh, other county officials, and the reality is no. This is not going to be a reality because um, a prime example is Carroll County, or Calvert County is the best one to use. They're, under Kerwin right now, they're $45 million ahead in year 2030. So literally, they don't have to put another dime into their education system um, because they're already that far ahead of it. But the reality is they would go 10 years, and those teachers and everybody that's in that system right now would stay static at their existing salaries, at their existing benefits, and we know that's not possible. So Calvert County even realizes we're going to have to put more money into this. And again, that's one of the other 15 points that Kerwin really didn't address is how do you phase that in on a county that's already meeting their obligations? And we're one of them. We're, we're one of seven counties that are what they call 0% counties. Um, we're basically on track to meet Kerwin without any additional heavy lifting. Um, but but there, again, there's, there's other realities that weren't addressed by the Kerwin Commission, weren't addressed by the funding work group, which I, just for everybody's, I voted against it because I was there not just as the Queen Anne's County Rep, but for MACO as the rural county rep. And it, it, though we did well, many rural counties will, will, will suffer greatly under this, this plan because some of them aren't as fortunate as us, as you just heard. We, financially, we're in good shape, but not every county, uh, especially the rural counties, have that luxury right now. So it, the dynamics of it are going to shift to the legislature now. And, and what the end product is going to be, nobody knows. And, and the consensus among a lot of people in the commission quietly are saying is it won't look anything like what we just got voted on because the legislature, there's a certain fiscal reality that's going to come from it at the state level. Um, they, they have a pretty heavy lift at uh, $2.8 billion over the next 10 years. And one thing I want to comment on, because I know this number gets thrown out there, and I don't think people are putting it in their head. I know the governor's put out there that this is going to be a $31.9 billion plan, and people can't understand how he's getting to that number. The number's very easy, because the first year you start out at $250 million. The second year you're going to put in $800 million. So that $800 million with your first $250, now you're at $1 billion already in the first year. That's going to escalate up. So after the 10 years, technically, you are going to have increased and spent an additional $31.9 billion over the 10 years to get to that full phase in it, because it's a cumulative amount you're spending year over year more. Some people are thinking in their head, well, it's only $800 million in year one. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's what it is. But then in year two, it's that year one, $800 million, plus. plus your year two, $800 million. So now you're really at $1.6 billion because of what you spent. So it is a big number, and it really is. And it's, it's hard to say what, what taxing effects it will have. There's many things that have been trotted out from Marijuana being legalized, sports betting, uh, increased sales tax, um, uh, online 
purchases tax, sales the, tax, the corporate. Some of the corporate. corporate uh, I can't remember what the, they called it. It's some kind of a. T- it's not a corporate tax, but it's something somehow a loophole or something gets that. Yeah, the corporate. The the the, the more uh, lucrative corporations would be paying more money. Um, so. Again, it's, it's in the legislature's hands. I, I think it's going to get watered down. I don't know that the political will is going to be there to push it through the way it is because two of, the, two of the counties and two of the jurisdictions that are hit very hard is PG County and Baltimore City, which both have quite a few delegates down in Annapolis and Senators. So they, and we can feel good because each one of them is in the $300-plus million range of having to come up with over the next 10 years. So, so we'll know in the next six months you know, where we're at, but I, like I said, I think Queen Anne's County, we're okay the way it sits today. Every time you talk about Kerwin, it makes my head hurt. Uh, You've told me that. Yeah. So, I'd like to go back to the uh, compression part of this, because that, that to me is the most dangerous of all these elements, if you consider it. Um, and I don't really follow the logic where, I mean, when you consider it, if 70% of the operation or 80% is wages and you jack the bottom up by 30%, you know that, that elevates everything else. It's it's. You would but think the point basically about it is that by being there additional time, you get a raise. Those people got their raises. Mm-hmm. They're not owed more just because the new newcomers are being paid more. I see no argument from you know jacking the entire system up based on based on the fact that what they what they. What we were offering and what the system was offering was a certain amount of extra money each year for longevity, and they got it. And this doesn't change that. And not the well. I I, I see your point, and, yeah. and, and I don't disagree with that. But I think that to the point of they don't have the funds to do it anyways. I don't know how they're going to do that. You see what I mean? It's, right. It's I don't know how they're going to sit around and say we're going to give you sixty thousand dollars a year yeah. when that money's all going to get consumed in steps. It's well, just you, you, you well, the steps are going away. I, I should clarify. Yeah. There, there'll be no more steps. It'll be five. It'll, you'll have five levels of a teacher now. Um, you, you'll have a certification level, and then there will be two uh, additional career ladders that'll take them up through five steps, okay. which will get them to a, um, a basically what they're calling administrative level, which is the highest you can go within the new system. The steps as we know them today will be gone. But comparatively, we have to say seniority. And to your point, Stevie, you're right. In the, in, in a, in the private sector, you're right. That's, that is probably what would happen. But you're in a public sector dealing with unions with collective bargaining who are going to turn around and they will mm-hmm. recreate those scales to fit the seniority versus the seniority fitness scale. And that's what's going to happen probably. I, I would say that when the CBA is, comes back around two years from now, um, which is why I think a lot of them entered into two-year agreements this time, because the first two years of Kerwin are already funded in terms of the teachers' raises. That third year when they go to renegotiate, any of that new money is going to come in. It, it, it's, they're going to bring up them lower teachers, but I think you're going to have a fight from the older teachers in within the system now going back to the union and saying, wait a minute, you're not bringing that teacher in here and you're leaving me here. That's where I think that riff no, is going I, to come I, in. I take so. that point, but I think we're protected in a sense by the uh, financially more vulnerable counties. It, oh, yeah, yeah. They just can't take a lift. So That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, $1.8 billion I mean, is on the there's counties. enough money in the system to jack the starting rate up there. There's not enough money in the system to jack the entire Correct. spectrum up. Like Jim said, they, they have to find that money first. Yeah. That money's got to come out. It's got to be put in there to start to even get that process going. So. Yeah. 
Cool. Good. Mr. Wilson, the senior. Sure. Uh, hmm. Well, I'm puzzled and a little concerned about the traffic over this next weekend, I have to say. And that there are a number of issues that the bridge folks need to get into, take into account for us because right now we are not getting any, uh, what's the word I want, forward advisement of these close downs like even the noonday ones. And that the only way we learn is by watching all these screens that are down at EMF and seeing that things are getting out of hand. And we have lots of other, those workers down there are answering 911 calls and they're not sitting there watching daytime TV all day of the bridge. So we need the bridge people to give us some forward advisement. Secondly, it's come to our attention that when some of these events have happened, for instance, the backups on the noon hour, people have been end running and going behind the cones and there's no uh, enforcement down there and it happens so quickly that we can't get enforcement down there so we've asked Todd I think mm -hmm. you did ask uh, who, who did you talk MDTA. to? MDTA. MDTA, MDTA police yeah, the colonel to, 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 yeah, to since when anytime you get to Castle Marina they should have enforcement people but yesterday when it got bad nobody was there so that's something I think they should be doing and that I intend to press on them and Good. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll go for oh. it. Yeah. They'll, they'll love seeing us walk in the room, huh? <laughs> Boy. So that's kind of it, and happy Thanksgiving. Okay. What should we do, Manel? Well, on a happier note, um, I had an opportunity to attend a, a challenge day at Stevensville Middle School. Um, I think probably the best way to describe the experience is wow. Um, I know that you participated in it, Jack, last year, and um, I have to tell you that I really was not, uh, uh, I won't say ready, but it certainly my expectations for what the, the end result of the day was going to be were, were not even close. Um, and it does solidify the fact that we do have great kids in our, in our community, in our schools, um, but this is a program that I think that this set of commissioners needs to continue to help fund each year. Um, this was the second year they did Challenge Day. Uh, so our eighth graders have experienced it. Now our seventh graders have experienced it. So in your middle school level, with sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, you have seventh and eighth graders that have now familiar with this program and, and, and what it teaches the kids um, to consider um, important uh, types of behavior and supporting other students regardless of the choices that they make um, to live their life and to treat them as equals. But um, I would also encourage my fellow commissioners to participate in one of the four um, challenge days <coughs> that will take place next year at our four middle schools. I, I, I'm telling you, gentlemen, it's an amazing experience and you'll certainly want to uh, say you were a, part, a participant in. So, I would say it reminds me of you hear, well, Jim, you're very familiar with the military training. You, you break them down to build them back up type of thing. It's yep. It really is that kind of a. It was, it was our version of Paris Island. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> Just going to no say. No doubt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but a great program. And, I, and yes. I'd, I'd love to see the county continue to help do our part 
to, to fund that because it's just an amazing experience to see these kids respond and react to this program. And then make those commitments to change themselves uh, moving forward. Very good. Good? Yep. Thank you. I didn't run any burning buildings or do anything exciting. Oh, like okay. That, no. All, right. All right. Well, first, uh, happy birthday to Todd Mon tomorrow. <coughs> Thank you, Chris. Uh, Let's embarrass him briefly. <laughs> yes. Um, the, um, last week or earlier, yeah. Last week had the chance to go um, up on the bridge and watch the work that was being done by NDTA with QAC TV. If um, <clears throat> you haven't seen the video yet, go on to QAC TV's YouTube page or the Facebook page. They show all the different work that's being done from the pouring to the mill. Well, the milling, the mechanical milling is all done, uh, but the hydro blasting and there's quite a lot of information in there about the progress that they're making. Um, and as Commissioner Moran pointed out, we're very hopeful that the headache will be over soon. I yeah. think so. Pushing forward with the work as much as it's been a convenience, I think it's going to it's going to benefit the people by having it done quicker. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you, MDTA, for uh, making that available for us to be able to do that. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of positive feedback from people who've seen the video that it was informative for them. Um, when you're on the bridge, please don't take out your phone and take pictures of the workers. When I was up there, within five minutes, I saw six people who did that. They're slowing down. They're taking pictures. You're causing part of the traffic that we're all dealing with. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> please also remember the workers up there, as much as you hate the traffic and maybe you don't want to like the commissioners or you don't want to uh, like NDTA about it, the workers up there are doing their jobs. Um, it's not always great conditions. It can be cold up there. Um, don't honk at them, yell at them, uh, and certainly don't throw anything at them. They've had instances of that where workers have been hit. One worker was hit in the face with an apple. Um, I hope that wasn't somebody from Queen Anne's County because we're better than that. Just remember, those workers that are there, they're just trying to earn a living, um, and they're working hard. They're, they're, not, they're not your enemy in that. In fact, they're working really hard so that you have less traffic. So please be respectful of them. Um, and lastly, at my house, we have a tradition that Thanksgiving, we say something that we're thankful for. So since this is Thanksgiving, I want to say I'm thankful for having a year now to be able to serve Queen Anne's County. Um, thankful for the great employees that we have in the county, for Todd and Margie and Linda helping us out in here, and you guys are okay to work with as well. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, on that note, I'm going to continue on with it and just give an, uh, my update of, of what's going on with the bridge as far as all of the uh, mechanical milling is complete. Uh, all of the hydroblasting is complete. So there will be no more decks tore up. What's tore up now is, is all that is in this project, this two-year project. So again, I mentioned it earlier, it looks like they're down to 14 pours. Uh, so to Commissioner Wilson's uh, comment about uh, not getting notice, it's really, we're, you know, we're, I don't want to say they're flying by the seat of their pants, but they're flying by the weather. So if they know they're going to get above 45 degrees by 10, 1030 or 11 o'clock in the morning, they they're pour. going to be pouring. Yeah. And it takes about three hours, maybe a little bit more, to pour these larger sections. So, you know, I mean, I, I know the citizens of Queen Anne's County doesn't want to hear this, but we need to, we need to exercise uh, impatience. Uh, you know, 14, so count them down. As you see those daily closures, you know that every one of them is getting closer and closer. So, you know, that's important. And, and, I, and, I, and to that point, I, you know, I'd like to know what kind of legislation is being written right now by our delegation. I think that we need to loop back around there and get them back in here and find out because 
We either need control of those exits, legislative-wise, or the sheriff needs to, you know, make that commitment that we are going to close those down. So we had a beach-to-bridge plan. We, we, we talked about that a year and a half ago. Uh, I still think it's, it's, it's viable to solve our issues with connectivity for the citizens of Queen Anne's County, and that's what we need to be concerned about. Uh, you know what? I, I think that by closing those ramps, by doing the stickers on the cars for our citizens, so that they can move about on those ramps uh, and get through is something that we need to really start to consider and move forward with so we're ready by summertime. And, you know, I think that the, the unintended circumstance or, or the unintended uh, results of that, which I think will be good for us, is that if we hold the rest of that beach traffic and that westbound traffic out on Route 50, and we keep them out on Route 50 where they can't come onto our side roads and try and skirt the traffic, they're going to get a little bit upset. And upset people pick up the phone. And maybe this brings more light. Maybe this brings more uh, haste in getting these NEPAs done and moving forward with a replacement bridge. Because the, the, these bridges we have now cannot handle the, the traffic that's being put on them. So, you know, I, I think that it's twofold for us, and I think it's good for our county, and, and, and I wholly support it, and I don't care what the state says, honestly. I mean, you know, I mean, this, this is something that we're having to live with, and I don't think it's right for our citizens to not be able to move about on given days just because of the fear of, of getting stuck in traffic. If we open that corridor, there's at least 10 miles that they'll be able to move back and forth on and, and not be stuck in that. You know, I mean, as, as parents of kids who play sports, I mean, it's, it's only getting worse. I mean, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of sitting here now six years. And six years ago, the traffic was, we, we need to start looking about it. And every year we've, we've offered solutions and or, uh, you know, uh, plans, and none of them have ever come to fruition. And I understand that, and I, and I, I, I sympathize with the state, but you know what? You know, that, those days are in the rearview mirror now, so it's time to... You know, call the police, stay call it whatever you want. But, I mean, I think that families be able, should be able to move around, and that's all I'm going to say about my soapbox for now. On the legislation, at our next meeting, we should have something uh, that we can discuss that we'll be sending to the delegation. Excellent. From us as a proposal. Great. Good. That's what we need. We need to get that moving. And if, and if legislation fails, then we're going to go back to the old school way. Just shut it down. I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's nothing else that we can do at this time, and I just don't think that uh, status quo is an answer that is acceptable to the citizens or to us. So absolutely, that's all I got to say. What are you thankful for, Jim? What am I thankful for? My grandchildren. So, yeah, that's and, where I was going. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, I am thankful for the, for the group that's sitting up here right now. I think this is probably um, um, this is my third set of commissioners I've had to sit with. This is my best set of commissioners. So, well, I will say I, I, I getting a, a whole new uh, uh, love for you guys after sitting on the current commission. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, if that's the way stuff's done in Annapolis, I don't ever want to go over there again. And that's why right. you know I always say my political aspirations will never exceed that Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Yeah. 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 What what appreciation yes, you have when people talk? Your oh. stuff. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> All right, a motion to adjourn. Motion. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you very much. 